0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more.
1: Half hour. Welcome to Half Hour with Jeff and Richie. I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. And today we have a very special podcast interview with Danny Feldman on today's show. Danny is the producing artistic director of Pasadena Playhouse. Welcome, Danny, to Half Hour Podcast. Hey guys, how's it going? Good. good. Um, welcome, welcome. I'm gonna give our, our listeners a little bit of a background on the playhouse, so I'm gonna let's read do it my notes. So Pasadena Playhouse, the official state theater of California, is internationally recognized for its significant role in the development of American theater, one of the most prolific theaters in the country, the Playhouse has staged thousands of original productions since its founding in 1917, including premieres of works by Tennessee Williams, Eugene O'Neill, Susan Roy Parks, and hundreds more. Under the leadership of producing artistic Danny Feldman, since 2016, Pasadena Playhouse's productions and community programs are centered on its founding idea of being a living force in its community, making theater for everyone. Today, the Playhouse continues to advance the American theater and serves as a hub for the top theater makers of our time. I hope I got everything in. I think that. I wrote that actually. So I was like, "Oh, that sounds so familiar." But yes, there we go. <laughs> there we go.
2: Lovely,
0: so, good job.
1: Wonderful,
2: wonderful. So welcome,
1: <laughs> <Yes>.
2: <laughs> Danny. Welcome to
0: the podcast. Uh, we would love to start this podcast episode off with you just telling us a little bit more about yourself, how you got started in theater, and also maybe your educational background.
2: Yes. Okay. So I have a very strange journey, which is uh, makes the argument of there are no straight lines in in mm-hmm. careers. Um, and actually informs a lot of how I hire people and, and think, of, think of that today. So I um, grew up here in Los Angeles um, and was really culturally shaped by national tours, Phantom of the Opera, iconic, um, you know, moment in, in a career and shaping that. Um, but I actually was a pianist, so I studied piano um, since I was in second grade. And I think for some magical thing in my head, I was going to be a professional pianist, which I wasn't quite good enough to be a professional pianist. And that's not exactly a great career, obviously. Uh, Maybe for some. Um, Not for me. Okay. So... uh, (laughs) Uh, but I was a pianist, and and it's somewhere along the line, aside from my love of, of attending shows that my parents was fortunate enough that would take me, but I was asked my junior year of high school to play piano for the student production in at my high school, El Camino High School, of mm-hmm. um, a play called Spoon River Anthology, which had a couple songs in it. And at the last minute, like a week before the show, they were like, "We need someone to accompany to be the accompanist for it," and you know, I had some friends in the drama group and they were like, you play piano, you do it. And that was really my first um, entrance into theater making on that side. Um, And I really fell in love with the the sense of community and common purpose and friendship. Um, And then the drama teacher who is currently a donor and subscriber at the Pasadena Playhouse, um, came to me and said, we are doing Pippin next year, which would be my senior year, and will you music direct it? And I was like, yes. And then I immediately was like, what is music direct? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. after saying yes, right? And so I learned and I went to my piano teacher and I was like, what is this? And I basically started studying music direction um, as a senior in high school and trying to figure out what that was and teaching voice and and plunking out the parts and running the little student band to play for it. So sort of a wild, crazy, um, on-the-job training and figured it out. Um, and then I uh, my pursuit of trying to be a pianist, I guess, still at the time, um, I got into UCLA in the music department. Mm-hmm. And uh, the music department at the time did, they, there was no theater musical theater department in the theater program. So the music department had a school-wide musical, and I was the accompanist for that. And I really learned on the job for that. My first year, I was Carol Burnett came and directed a production of Once Upon a Mattress, and oh, I was wow. the accompanist <laughs> and associate music oh my director. Oh that. that's amazing. So like, like in that world a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. and then I, a bunch of friends started producing shows on their own and long story short, I, they were sort of like, do you want to help us? And I was like, sure. And they're like, you seem to know how to balance a checkbook. Will you do the books? And I again was like, I don't know what the books are, but yes, let's do it. And that is how I really started on the producing side of it. Um, Cut to you know a lot of student musicals and producing plays. There was a musical you guys might know called Bear, B A R E. Oh yeah, I love that show. I, I
1: know, was yeah. the
2: original producer on that with our company, oh. with our group, and we produced it here in L.A. at the Hudson Theater. I was a sophomore in college when we did that, and wow. I was you know doing the payroll on my kitchen table in between going to my music theory classes. Yeah. Um, so I was always sort of involved in that. Did a bunch of shows, and then um, when I graduated college, it was like, what the hell am I going to do next? Um, I had a short stint, which we do not need to talk about here, although I was the vocal director of the Pussycat Dolls, which was a, sh- a stage show, a burlesque show at the Roxy before it was the band. It was a lot of Robin Anton and those people. So that was my like in-between college and the real world gig, yeah, uh, yeah. where it was all played to track. And I was like putting in you know Carmen Ferrer, I don't know, all these people like, to teach how to sing the lead tracks and all of that. And then I got into company management. I got hired to be the company manager of a theater called Reprise Theater Company, which doesn't exist anymore. That was basically like encores in New York out here in L.A., um, and that was really where I fell in love with musical theater and went all the way from um, company manager to executive director, kind of got sick of that and was like, it's time to go to New York, everyone should be in New York at one point in their life if you want to do theater, moved to New York without a job, without a plan, without anything, and suddenly became uh, the executive director of Philip Seymour Hoffman's off-Broadway company called Labyrinth mm. Theater Company. Within my first year there, we were transferring a show to Broadway. Um, I can't say that, well, I can say the name of the show, but we won't believe it, but it was The Mother with the Hat.
1: Oh, that yes, was. I know what you're talking about, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, <laughs> that <laughs> we got to be careful. That was the yeah, play. Yeah, um, so yeah. Had some experience within, you know, my first year of New York producing a Broadway show, which was insane. And then um, was there for a while, and then came back. Um, the headhunter said, do "You want to come to the Pasadena Playhouse?" And my first response was, "Absolutely not. I don't want to move back to LA, <laughs> and that place is kind of messy." Um, and <laughs> they talked me into it. I get, oh, I'm here now, and um, we won a regional Tony a month ago. So, yeah, which, I, which is amazing. on my desk.
1: Yeah. Oh, I was hoping we were gonna see it. Yes. You got to see it. Spin. Here it is. Wow. <laughs> wow. How amazing! And yes, so, Tony is so amazing. Congratulations. You, you on it's incredible. So already.
2: unexpected and crazy. I can, yes. I could
1: spend the and two hours just talking about what you just said the last three minutes. So like, <laughs> it's amazing. Like I love. I music directed a-, a production, a student production. I I was in the University of Michigan, a theater program, and I yes. music directed a student production of. A few years back. So I'm familiar with the work. It's amazing. I love that show. Oh, Um, I just like so so many things.
0: There's so yeah. many things just from what you just said. We ah,
2: Pussycat Dolls, let alone, right? Yeah, I have yeah, funny I'm, stories about that. Yes.
0: I'm going immediately to, like, were you working with the Pussycat Dolls when they would be, like, on MTV? Um, it was before, so
2: yeah, so I guess it, I mean, it really started well, not, as, like, a burlesque show, right? I well, mean, that's not, what it was, yeah.
0: Well, I always remember, like, from Behind the Music or whatever, when, like, Christina Aguilera would, like, go in, or, like, Carmen
2: Electra would go in. Or, they were like, our these, guest stars. Both of those were guest stars at the Roxy. I, I wow. worked with both of them.
0: Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize <laughs> like before like the actual pop group of the pussycat dolls like all of that existed before so it's that's like, right I, I love hearing about that i love it i still
2: have the bootlegs of the uh score that we the soundtrack that we used <laughs> for another time
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i you had, I actually already kind of answered my next question was a little bit about labyrinth theater company and coming from new york back to la so i that's awesome and i love to hear about that and it's been when was that 2016 you said that was late 2016.
2: I started the job okay. in like October 2016. So it's God. been, you know, it was a theater that was really struggling, and then, um, and and a turnaround, a really important turnaround for a historic theater, um, and then a pandemic in the middle of it. So so uh, it's been one thing after another here. So um, yeah. I feel like we've earned our our Tony. Yeah, award now of and,
1: course, and, amazing. We Definitely.
2: had um, we were
0: t- we were out at the Pasadena Playhouse uh, right before the pandemic for a little in- show. Oh yes, because we saw a little shop there. Uh, so I would so, show you
2: the one of the puppets is right. I'm staring at it. We oh I can't gosh. get up and show you, but we have uh, yes, that was a really special
1: production. We we had we had we were in LA right before the pandemic. It was like fall of 2019. We yeah. saw a Little Shop of Horrors there, and we had saw it in New York as well. So we were like, wow, what are the odds that these two major cities are doing two major revivals of the show at the same time? But like night and completely day, different. It's so different, and both amazing in their own way. And so we always still talk. Like I'm not kidding. Like every few months, we're like. That there's a prime example of a show that's done so well two very different ways. Like we we always bring that example up.
2: I was yes, really I love that show, and it was a formative yeah. show for me. And it was really exciting to do it and work with a bunch of artists to say, "What if we approach this like this was a world premiere?" And that was really our entrance to the piece. What? How can we do this um, in a way that speaks to today? Um, and that's why we had a very different production of it. Well, sure. it felt it felt that way too because it was also like. I had never
0: seen a stage production of Little Shop until that production, and also to see someone like MJ in the role, it was like, whoa, this is really good." I, I mean, I had watched the movie plenty of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know that doesn't compare. But and the, to the puppetry stage.
2: approach was very different, right? Yes, it was just, yes. it was a very unique. It was it was some working with some what I love doing best, getting really exciting artists today to sit in a room and play and figure something out so that's Wait, what and, they did and my
1: other two really fun like silly odd pasadena moments were really quick one well first of all the the architecture of that building is like absolutely stunning and i remember walking and being like we were in the orchestra but like if you went down and looked up and in, in the balcony i was like this ceiling like like what can you tell us about yeah. just this building's architecture alone It's like yeah. stunning
2: so when it was built, it was built. It was designed by a guy named Elmer Gray, who also built uh, or designed the Beverly Hills Hotel, and oh, he was one okay. of the prominent um, architects in, in the West Coast at that time period. The building was built in uh, 1924, opened in 1925. So it's one of the oldest still operating theaters in America, right? Um, if you think about the Broadway theaters age, this this ranks with them, if not older than mm-hmm. some. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was completely – when they built it, it was this community was like we want the best theater and the best community theater in the world. And Mm -hmm. so it was built at that standard and that level. And Variety reviewed the first play when it opened, and the review basically said the play was crap. But the building is the most state-of-the-art theater in the world at the time in terms of the fly system, in terms of the backstage, it, it really mm-hmm. was we've done some some upgrades, we're, I wouldn't say we're the most anymore, but um, it, and it's a beautiful historic building in sort of um, Spanish colonial style yeah. was made really with love by the community, it was the first theater in America ever to be built by money raised from its community, so they mm-hmm. went door to door to raise the money to build it and so it's always been deeply rooted as a community centric thing where community members would be able to perform on the stage, and you know, it was before Actors Equity. Right? This was the theater itself. The company was founded in 1917, um, wow. and so the building 1924. But it is, and that ceiling actually looks like it's tile ceiling. But even back yeah. then, they knew we have earthquakes in California, and so it's actually made out of burlap, oh, and it's painted. It's painted burlap. Uh, and it's Yeah, to keep things from falling on people's heads if there's. A oh,
1: okay, okay. I just remember that being, and and the other most like this is like so odd, but <laughs> Jeff's gonna be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you are bringing this up. We went, we were in L.A. and we're like, yeah. we went to Pasadena. We drive, we rented a car, we we drive, we park, we got dinner, and like walk. And it's like this beautiful night. We're like early, but we're like, let's just walk the streets a little bit. And uh, maybe you guys think of this, but I think we saw a literal wolf. Do you have like wolves there? We like saw a fox or a wolf. I don't know. It was in the middle. Coyote,
2: coyote. Coyote, maybe? Can you we tell me you know nothing about animals? We have coyotes in Los Angeles. Yes, okay, we so do. that must have
1: been what it was. And I, it was walking yeah. right near us. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm so from New York because I don't remember seeing so this the, in New York. We're in the
2: hills, right? We're, we're Like right. L.A. is in the basin where there's hills right near us. And Pasadena is part of L.A. And right. we we have coyotes. And they're not really afraid of people, I have to say, because no, they're they used were, to them. It was
1: it was like the sun was out. We, it was like a block away from us. We're like, Jeff, I don't know what's going on right now. But he was like a – but anyway, I just, that's my memory of Pasadena Playhouse. I think it was like the Wild so West. Topic. We are the Wild
2: West over here. No, I'm kidding. Yes, but, but anyway, I just had to say that. So. We are like, I'm completely off to... topic. <laughs>
1: back you know, to I think
0: the audience probably wants to know a little bit more about what kind of, <laughs> you... <laughs> not about the Coyotes. Today. Right. Maybe. No, but um, the. could you tell us a little <laughs> bit more about what actually goes <laughs> into being the artistic producing
2: director of such a great theater in this country? Oh, I love it. I'm gonna clear my throat for a second because I just yeah, swallowed water. Hold of course, no, on. you're to Okay, good. <laughs> Sorry, hold that in. Um, All good. Thank you for the kind words, but um, no. So, so I'm not only the artistic director; I'm the producing artistic director. Which a lot of theaters have um, a management leader and an artistic director, and I've been in that situation many times. This situation's unique because I do both of them. So, my responsibilities, the thing that I have to do, um, and report to my board on, I do oversee the fundraising. I oversee the marketing. I oversee all of the management, but also all things artistic. So, it's a pretty, pretty big job in terms of the task list, let's just say. Um, I have a wonderful, wonderful team supporting around, so I can't complain about that. But, um, you know, the primary thing, particularly on the artistic side, is setting the vision of a theater company. I think, a lot of folks, um, we don't just pick plays out of random. We have a point of view as a theater company. We operate with um, ideas and principles of what we want to be in the world and and what we want to see in the world. So, you know, in terms of um, theater companies, oh, this one's too political or this is too this or this is too that. We all do have a point of view. We're not just trying to entertain people, but we're trying to bring artists together to create change in the world and that's um, and in our communities. So I feel a great Deal of responsibility of not only doing that, setting that idea, and and for me, that founding idea here in this building that I really responded to and made me take the job is this was always about a, being a theater for everyone. This was about a, not sort of taking the elitism out of the American theater, um, of which there's a lot. Sorry to say something no, yeah, truthful yeah. and maybe yeah. drop a bomb on a podcast, but it's okay. No, that's okay. I,
1: well, um, yeah. but, um, we
2: But you love, know, we love the truth. We love yeah. truth bombs. I love we it. Love yeah, but I think um, you know we're all in. a bubble often, right? We're, we're in all of our country and world and everything. And I think theater in particular, there's a bubble there. And, and part of it is um, not everyone feels like they belong. And some of it is is the kinds of stories we're telling have not particularly been inclusive of, of certain groups of people and for a long period of time. Um, and so that's that's really how we approach with our mission here is we believe in the power of theater not just to bring joy to people but to spark creativity to bring people together particularly that right now when we're all so divided in so many ways and in our own bubbles Um, and theater is this like magic empathy tool that you get folks together um, to experience something as a community and then on the education front also the power of becoming a theater maker and exploring that from a young age all the way up and so that's really the powerful idea here um, and I feel a great privilege and a great sense of responsibility of running a theater with such an important history and a major history, um, and how we look forward, how we take those principles and ideals, and saying we're a theater for everyone meant, means something very different today than it did in 1925 or 1917, um, and what what does that mean today? And so. Opening up casting ideas, MJ Rodriguez, George Salazar, even in our Sondheim celebration that we just finished, you know, we had two Mm -hmm. leads of color in the Sondheim musicals, like the first time a dot, you know, in Sunday in the Park. And it's it's absurd to me that we're still having these conversations, but um, it's important that major institutions have have commitment to making sure everyone feels welcome in their theaters.
1: And and, and those t- feats don't go unnoticed because now you're a, a recipient of a Tony Award, which is like brilliant and amazing. And that's my next question for you is, well, for those of you who don't know, the Pasadena Playhouse was the recipient of the 2023 Regional Theater Tony Award. So tell us a little bit about what that means to you and the Pasadena Playhouse. And now how does that set you now for the future of the Playhouse now that you've
2: Yeah, that's a great – it was a lovely surprise. It just – I mean I I don't know how else to say it, but like you – it's literally like one of those things like you just get a call one day. There's no application process. Wow, wow. I was driving, minding my own business. It was the day after a little night music opened and I was taking a day off because I hadn't had one. And I got a call from – Broadway, it said on the phone. It said on my cell phone. Broadway is calling oh, you. Oh. and it was Charlotte Saint Martin from from the Broadway Sure, sure. Oh, you, know, you won the Tony Award. Um, so it was pretty wild. Um, it's it's amazing to get the recognition of that. It's amazing to get the national spotlight, right, and the international spotlight. Um, particularly, it, it's particularly resonant and meaningful because in Passing up Playhouse's history, we've had bankruptcies. The building was almost knocked down five times. Mm-hmm. It was boarded up from the late 60s all the way into the 80s. Oh, so this wow. is a theater that has really had a lot of ups and downs and always been brought back by a community. And, and we're scrappy over here, right? We're, we won't let this get to our heads. We're pretty scrappy. And in particular, when I walked in the door in 2016, it was really bad. We had really, really big financial problems and debt. And it took a lot of folks, staff, board, volunteers, ever, donors coming together to say let's do this let's invest mm-hmm. let's go big and then we brought on artists and we're like dream big let's let's be risky let's do big things right. let's rethink little shop of wars let's do all of these things so to so many of us who have been really sort of clawing our way out of a hole and trying to prove to our community in the world and the la the la theater community we're viable and come check us out um Getting a recognition like this and a big old spotlight on us was was pretty astounding and great, and it really only doubles down our commitment to... To growing and to to sustaining in a particularly challenging time for regional theaters, um, it was it's very meaningful when you know you see there's theaters announcing closures, there's theater announcing cutbacks and layoffs and all of this, um, and we are feeling those same headwinds. We are we we're not immune to that, but we're also really guided by our vision and our excitement for becoming a theater for everyone in in more real and fuller ways.
1: Yeah, it's amazing.
0: Uh, and speaking on vision for that, what kind of goes into so select- Selecting a season um, for Pasadena playoffs.
2: It's like the yeah, hardest yeah. question, Jeff. Everyone yeah. <laughs> asks that, and I've never actually had a really good answer of it. I'm not going to lie. I, number one, it's like, so we are the State Theater of California. It was a designation we were given, and I, you know, interpret that as – This isn't a place where you'll just see new plays. This isn't a place where you'll just see revivals. This is a place where there's a little bit of something for everyone, and the through line is the quality, the artistic excellence, the boldness. Um, So I'm always looking for things that oppose each other and that live in the same space but are surprising and adventurous and exciting. So, um, And I have very eclectic tastes. I... Love Mamma Mia! There, I, I said it. I said it out loud. I love Mamma Mia. I think it's a really fun night at the theater. I also love edgy new plays that I see that I don't quite understand what they are. Always right, um, and I and everything in between. And so I hope to bring that here. That's sort of what we work on doing. And if you look at our past seasons, you look at this upcoming season that starts in the fall. It is a little bit of everything in terms mm-hmm. of new plays, in terms of a world premiere, in terms of a classic play reborn in a new way, and you know a great musical, Jelly's Last jam, which don't get me. I could do a whole podcast on that show, Um, but um, but basically it's, it's really like all of this kind of put together, all of this sort of journey together of really exciting experiences that, that feel familiar to some people, but not to others. Um, And I think that's also how you expand your audience and, and make way for the next generation of theater goers. Yeah. And it, it,
1: it totally makes sense. And regional theaters are so vibrant and important to the success of theater in America in general. And I know that there's this like, uh, theater goes from community schools, community theaters, all the way up to regional, I mean, Broadway, off-Broadway, international. But tell me a little bit more about how do you see Pasadena Playhouse supporting the future of theater specifically in the LA area and what that's doing to that area of theater?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're we're going through we're going through it in LA theater. We have you know three or four large theaters. We're one of I mean we call, we consider midsize, but we're large in context. Um, and the the 99 seat theater scene, which is where I first produced Bayer and a lot of other shows, um, has really been hurt and hit very hard, not just by pandemic by a change in the equity rules and guidelines about the business model and what you pay actors, and also by a California, boring California law called AB5, which essentially says you can't just write checks to people as independent contractors anymore, you have to pay them salary employees. Mm. All three of those things hit together, and we have seen a dramatic reduction in theater in LA, and that is very harmful to, that's where really interesting, edgy, boundary-pushing work can happen in our smaller theaters, that's where early career artists can nurture and play, and we can see them and bring them up to here. So our pipeline has been shattered. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there's a big question about how do we nurture next generation theater artists in LA and not lose them to New York or other places when the opportunities are shriveling up here? And what can we do with that as a larger institution? How can we help with that? And we're very committed. The majority of our artists always are lo- lo- Los Angeles-based. A lot of regional theaters, wherever they are, have to bring people in. We want to invest in our local community. Um, and so so the dominant number of, of creative people in our shows, um, I think on, on A Little Night Music we hired over. 100 people were employed just on that show locally Um, so we are an economic driver but also really Mm -hmm. seeding the next generation of theater professionals
1: Mm. that's amazing that is really amazing amazing. let's talk future now Jeff
2: oh yes I always
1: like to know like what's coming up what can you you know We know, (laughs) we know you
0: announced your season recently what was that yes right. a couple weeks ago yes um yeah. what else is in store for pasadena playhouse and do you have any upcoming events or big announcements that you want to make that playhouse?
2: i want to give you guys like the exclusive
0: <laughs> oh
2: announcements. Yeah, wow. oh. okay well aside from a really exciting season which which i won't go into now but that i'm very excited about about it um we are you know we're really doubling down on the idea of theater for everyone and one of the areas we have not really um, exceeded it in the future in the, in the past is really working on young people and making sure that there's things for young people to come see professional theater for them to see aimed at them. and as well as we're doing you know a, a musical theater boot camp this summer for a summer camp. But in awesome. that world of theater education and in um, high quality professional productions aimed at younger people, We need it's time we invest in a major way in the future because that is what is going to sustain our field that we all care about so much. So, we're going to make some moves there, announcing in the fall. That's all I'll say about that. (laughs) It'll be very exciting. Yeah, Yeah. And um, and the other thing is this year or last year, what kicked off our whole Sondheim Festival was the most extraordinary project we've ever done here, which was um, a massive production of Into the Woods. It was done at our, our sister theater just down the street, the Pasadena Civic Auditorium, so th- over 3,000 seats. But it was a six-month project, and it was all of the Pasadena public school- high schools participated. And um... any kid can audition – And then there were committees of students that did the sets, did the costumes, were in the orchestra, and they all worked with professional theater makers that did shows at the Playhouse, came together for six months, and they made a production of Into the Woods through their imagination. They got to make the decisions. They got to perform in it. They got to do the lighting and all of that stuff. Um, And then we did two performances. Over 10,000 people saw it. Um, um, all of their wow. peers, elementary school, middle school kids, and then their parents, and hearing "Into the Woods," a show that I'm sure you know very well and that I know very well, um, hearing, watching an audience experience that most of them for the first time ever being in a theater and rising to the seeing their their own children and friends and family um, rise to a challenging piece like that—that that actually is saying a lot in the world—was one of the most thrilling experiences I've ever had, um, and so. That is part of our effort to have community-made theater, right? Whether you call it community mm-hmm. theater, and the bad word for it is amateur theater, we don't like that at all. But we are really investing in how do you be a home, not just right. for the people like MJ Rodriguez and George Salazar and all of, and those who put their 10,000 hours in, but how do we serve the full spectrum? Because we believe everyone can be an art maker. Anyone can, can be an artist and perform. And so just like those high school kids did, um, we're now looking at what's the next step of that program. Um, and we'll have an announcement about that in the Future. Oh I, won't, I won't tease yeah. any more of that. But okay, a theater man. for everyone, right? It's there you so go.
0: Impor- it's so important because right now kids are really needed in theater, especially with the pandemic happening. We see it even here. Like we have to reignite the fire and getting kids right. interested into theater in, into theater again because
2: it's like, yeah. Where are and you? not and not just that, Jeff. But the, but if you look at all of the stats and the reports that have come out of pandemic. And the major uh, uh, mental health toll it has taken on students, mm-hmm. particularly yep. middle school kids or that age, it's really profound from pre-pandemic to now. And we have a whole, we have generation now coming through that mm-hmm. um, we don't quite understand what that impact was. I mean, we're seeing it when we're in schools right now working on it. There is a right. learning gap. There is a pandemic gap. It is very, very real, not just in education and, you know, what I'm learning, but in social emotional learning. And theater is a huge ability to to bridge that gap and and teach in different ways and capture attention in different ways so that is very important to us here for our community for the la community for the theater community as a whole it's super important time
1: and thank goodness for you do pushing that department of your playhouse and making sure that that's thriving it's so 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 important so thank you for that and all the thanks um but we are almost out of time Yes, so sad, but I, we have one more final wrap-up question. We Let's ask everyone this at our podcast. Um, we would love to know a funny, silly, maybe it's not funny or silly, but just a behind-the-scenes story of a production that you either worked on at Pasadena Playhouse, something that you could tell our listeners, something like. That maybe you wouldn't hear on the mainstream. That's something fun Like that I've scenes. never talked about before. So I will tell you yeah. a story. And I okay. I
2: thought about this of like, what can, who can yeah. I name and who can't I name? But okay, I'm going to okay. do this one anyway. So we recently did last season um, Holland Taylor, the great Holland Taylor. Yeah. Um, her Broadway show, Anne, which I don't yeah. know if you ever saw it on Broadway. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, We remounted it here. We did it. She had never done it in Los Angeles. Um, and she has become a friend. And it was like, we're going to do the L.A. run. We were supposed to do it right before the pandemic or right after. Right when the pandemic interrupted it. And Mm -hmm. so when we came back, we were like, we got to do it in our first season. We're going to do it again. Holland's like, I got to do it while I still can remember it. And let's just do it. So we're doing it. It was very challenging because um, we used the Broadway set. So the Beaumont Theater, where it was on Broadway nothing related to the shape of the Pasadena Playhouse. Yeah. It's a thrust. It goes for, like, miles back. No, no, no. Different thing. Mm-hmm. So we, so the set was living in a trailer in Texas, and oh. it was a very tight timeline of how we would get the set here, get the automation package, you know, the things to make it move automatically. So it was complicated, and it was, like, tight window, and it was on a truck, and we had all these problems with the truck, and we're like, is the truck coming? Where's the truck? The truck's in San Diego. Why are you in San Diego? That's not the right direction. Chaos, 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 chaos. <laughs> We're ready to go. Holland's nervous. She's rehearsing in the rehearsal room. It's like, I don't know if I'm going to get my parts. The truck pulls up, um, and I was, like, excited to see it. I came. I had my coffee. I was like, woo, the truck's here. And I'll never forget, like, right by where I'm sitting talking to you. I walk around the corner, and our staff lifts up the gate, and it's like everyone goes white. And someone looks at me and, like, starts shaking their head like, no, 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 no. is What? So the performance was supposed to start in a week. We were a week away from first performance, and the theater where it was stored, or it was stored in a yard in Texas, they sent the Christmas Carol set from another theater.
1: Oh, wait. Oh, wait. What?
2: <laughs> and You're the response, everyone was like, I'm not telling Holland. Are you telling? I'm not telling Holland. Oh, no, right. 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 Oh and, and the group decision was we're not going to tell Holland so then we're in rehearsal so, so our team did like Herculean work to try to coordinate an emergency Da da, da, da <laughs> and the truck got here I don't know how he did it he probably broke laws but they got here in three days we rejiggered the schedule we did the whole thing we made it to opening night Holland never knew she was in oh. rehearsal and she kept saying oh you know the podium I talk at that's here right it came with the set where is it can I go down to the stage and see it and our producer everyone's like it's on the truck still. Like, on oh, the truck still, because we did not want to lie to Miss Taylor. But it was like it is on the truck. The truck is in Texas, but it is on the truck. And we tricked her the whole time. And then it was maybe closing night, or pr- pretty much towards the end of the run. We told her um, because none of us wanted to ha- hold that. And she actually was so astounded and started hysterically laughing of how did you keep this from me? Like no. something pretty big. And it was insane. So anyway, that is the story of the Christmas Carol. We were like, do we do it on a Christmas Carol set? What do we do?
1: Yeah. Or do you I just mean, do a Christmas Carol? <laughs>
2: do we do just starring Holland Taylor <laughs> in, Sorry, in, Taylor. in June, right? It was like May or June of last year. <laughs> so anyway, I, that is I the story. It.
1: I love yeah. it. That's an amazing, funny way to wrap this up. We love it. We love it. Well, um, listen, I wish we could talk for hours and hours. We'll have to have you it's back amazing. at some point. Yes. Because We'd love keep to. going and going. But thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Half Hour. We really hope you enjoyed listening today.
0: Yes, we hope you enjoyed our conversation with Danny. Uh, Danny, if any of our listeners want to learn more about you and the
1: Pasadena Playhouse, where can they find out more information? PasadenaPlayhouse.org. Join us. There you go love it we love it we love it amazing and to all our listeners if you have any suggestions for future episodes of people you'd like to hear us talk to we'd love to hear from you you can connect with us on instagram and tiktok at half hour podcast
0: so thank you so much for joining us today danny and we can't wait to see what's in store for you and the pasadena playhouse soon yay thank you both
1: yay so signing off for now i'm richie saying ta-ta and i'm jeff
0: Bye bye bye